right, if you got your Bibles this morning, uh, you can turn to Acts chapter 10. Uh, we're going to keep going in our um, uh, Acts series that we've uh, had over the last several weeks. Um, before we dive into that, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, so here in a couple of weeks, we're going up to camp with uh, our students back to Snowbird. And at Snowbird, there's, there's a lot of different recreation options that you can do. Uh, and one of those is something called duckying. And basically what it is, is you're basically going down the river in like a one-person raft. So the, you can go down, we'll, we'll all go down uh, like whitewater rafting in like a big raft where you've got like six or seven people. But you can also go down like a little one-person raft. So it's kind of like kayaking. And uh, a couple of years ago, um, Emily and I went with a, a group of students. We, we went duckying. And it was it was her first time really doing anything like that. I had had, had uh, kayaked a little bit, uh, but it was her first time really uh, trying anything like that. And before I go any further, I want to clarify: I did get her permission to share this story. Okay, um, so uh, as we're going, one of there are many wonderful attributes about my lovely wife. One of them is whenever she's trying something new. And it doesn't go perfect, like, right away. She's convinced that she hates it. She's, she's like, this, this is, like, the worst thing ever. Like, I, this, this isn't going well. I don't like it. And when we went duckying, it went great after the first 20 minutes. Before that, it didn't go so great. So, she, like, it, it just took her a little bit to, to get the hang of it. And her, her biggest problem was, like, keeping it straight. She kept spinning. And what would happen was she would spin, and then she would get mad, and she would look at me and lovingly say, this isn't working. And... <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. And by the way, if you hear her tell the story, she will tell you, I wasn't yelling that day. Okay. I wasn't yelling. Okay. <clears throat> but like, we're, we're going and she, she's, so she's looking at me like, like, what do I do? What do I do? And so like, I'm trying to help her out and be like, try, try doing this. Like to, if you start going this way, paddle on that side. If you go this way, paddle on that side. And basically the way it would go is, is she would, when she would start spinning again and she would try my advice for about half a second. And when it didn't work right away, then she would just go like this and just keep spinning. And I'll look up and she's just going down another rapid. And, and so it was like, I would like, like try helping her out and, she, and it would like, she would try it and it wouldn't work. And she, it was basically like she was, she was saying, that's not working. I have a better idea. I'm just going to, I'm just not going to paddle. I'm just going to spin. That's my better idea. Right. And now eventually she got the hang of it and then she loved it after that, right? Like you, you love ducking now, right? Yeah, she loves it now, just not the first 20 minutes of it. Um, but like, it, it was like she was saying, what you're saying is not working. I have a better idea. And her better idea was just to stop paddling. Um, but sometimes we, we do that a lot, right? When something doesn't seem like it's going well, we're like, no, 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 I have a better idea, right? And a lot of times we say that to God too, right? Where, especially when things aren't going the way that we expect them to go, we're like, no, nah, nah, I, I got a better idea. Right, and this morning we're looking at a passage where we we see a guy who has a really bad habit of doing that. Right, it's Peter. Peter has a really bad habit of looking at God and saying, "I have a better idea." Right, and it almost never is. Okay, uh, now this passage that we're looking at, this is probably still early on in Peter's life. Okay, so that he, it's probably he's probably still in his twenties, maybe thirty-ish. Right, but it's still early on in his life, and so he's he's actually pretty close to the, the season of life here that our graduates are heading into, right? Our graduates, especially our, our high school graduates, they've, they've been living it at home, and now they're being sent out to where they're going to be more on their own, right? And Peter had been under Jesus' leadership, 
right? And it's only been, at this point, it's only been a few years since Jesus has sent him out and, and commissioned him. And one of the things we're going to find out from this passage is it's clear that he's still kind of figuring it out, right? So we're, we're in our uh, series in Acts called The Gospel on the Move, right? And this morning, we're going to see an example of the gospel taking another step forward, right? A question that gets asked a lot, especially around the season of life that our graduates are in, is what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? What, what, what does God want me to do? Well, God's will for our lives is to be part of the gospel on the move, right? That's God's will for our lives. Be part of the gospel on the move, right? Uh, so go ahead and stand as uh, we dive into this passage. Uh, we're going to be in Acts 10, and we're going to start in verse 1. It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, so it's about three in the afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. You can never see as I pray. Do God, I pray this morning as we dive into this passage, um, I pray that we would see more of you, but that we would also see more of ourselves uh, in what we see from Peter in this passage, that we would see um, how broken we are, but yet how you still choose to use us, even though you don't have to. I pray this morning that these would be your words and not my own. Uh, and I pray that uh, everything that I say this morning would be glorifying to you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, last week we looked in chapter nine at the story of Saul's conversion, right? Well, let's talk about a little bit of background, the way that the rest of chapter nine uh, finishes out because it carries us into what we're reading this morning, right? So it, in, at the end of chapter 9, we get a really clear reminder that Acts is about Jesus continuing to work through his followers, right? So in the Gospels, we see Jesus in the flesh working, right? Acts is Jesus still working. He's just doing it through his followers, right? Which is continuing with us today, right? So we're, we, we see a, a cool picture at the end of chapter 9 that reminds us that big picture, what's going on is Jesus is still working through his followers. Okay, so at the end of chapter 9, Peter ends up in Joppa, which is this small coastal city uh, uh, along the Mediterranean. And while Peter's there, he raises a woman named Tabitha from the dead. Okay, now if you back up into the Gospels and you go to Mark chapter 5, you read a story about Jesus raising a little girl from the dead. And what he says whenever he raises her from the dead is he says, Talitha, which means in, in Hebrew, it means little girl, says Talitha arise, okay? And guess who was standing there to watch that? Peter was, right? That was, that was one miracle where Peter, James, and John were the only ones who were allowed to go in and watch that. So Peter's part of a small circle that gets to watch this awesome miracle, right? So that happens in, in, in Mark 5. And then here in, in uh, Acts chapter 9, in Joppa, Peter raises a woman named Tabitha from the dead. And you can, you can imagine, like, in the back of his mind, he's recalling that scene where he's with Jesus, and he sees Jesus raise this girl from the dead and say, Talitha, arise. And you can imagine, like, chills going down his spine as he says to this woman, Tabitha, arise, right? In, in the, the original language, it would have sounded almost identical, right? And it's this clear reminder that big picture of what's going on 
is that Jesus is still continuing to work and move the gospel forward through his followers. It's not like Jesus is working in the gospel and now his followers are working. It's Jesus working through the power of the Holy Spirit through his followers, right? So we're reminded that's big picture what's going on, right? Well, after uh, Peter does that, he, he stays in Joppa and he stays at, at uh, a man's house named Simon. And Simon is a tanner. So he, he works with animal hides to make leather. You might be like, why does that matter? Well, it's actually a pretty significant detail, and here's why. Tanners were typically shunned by Jews, okay? They were, they were typically avoided because they were dealing with, with uh, dead animals all the time, and they, when they're treating animal skins, they would use uh, mixtures of, of, a lot of times, like harsh chemicals and even animal or even human waste, right? So they're, they're treating these things. So it was a very smelly job, okay? So it, it literally left, like, a permanent stench on their clothes, on their skin, and even in their houses, and that's the house where Peter's staying, okay? This also meant that tanners were usually forced to be at the edge of town, away from everybody else. Nobody wanted to be near them. And they were usually, because they're dealing with dead animals all the time, a lot of times they were considered ceremonially unclean. So Jews just kind of stayed away from them, right? So the fact that Peter, who's a Jew, is staying with this Jewish outcast, that's significant. That's a big deal. And it, it's leading us into what's going to happen in, in chapter 10. Okay, so while that's going on with, with Peter, we, we just read what's going on simultaneously with, with Cornelius, right? So Cornelius is in Caesarea, which Caesarea was a larger city than Joppa. It was a large Roman uh, port city, and it was about 31 miles north of Joppa. So if you're trying to picture where these places are at, imagine going from like St. Augustine Beach up to Jack's Beach, okay? That distance is roughly about what, it, what the distance was going up the coast from Joppa to Caesarea, Okay. Caesarea was also the seat of Roman government in Judea. So it's a big deal, right? This is a major post that Cornelius has. He's a centurion, which means he's over 100 soldiers, and he's part of, a, part of an Italian cohort, which was at least 600 soldiers. So he's part of this large group of 600 soldiers, and he's in charge of 100 of them, okay? So this would have meant that he was extremely wealthy. He was extremely respected. He was even generous, and he was actually well-respected by a lot of Jews, which was a big deal because Jews hated Romans. Like, they, they were invading their country, was the way that they saw it, right? So they hated Romans. So the fact that he's respected by a lot of Jews was a big deal, right? So this guy, every, everything that could go right seems to be going right for this guy. And yet he's still missing something, right? And in Acts 10, it tells us that he worships God. So he's not yet a Christian, but he, he's in Judea and he sees this Jewish God that they're worshiping. And, and he starts like worshiping this, this God. So he's trying to do like the... the uh, Jewish, like religious acts of trying to worship God. And so we see that God's already working on him before Peter ever shows up, right? Which just a, a quick takeaway from that is like, we don't know how God is working in other people's lives, right? It's God, when we share the gospel with someone, it's God who's doing the work in their hearts, right? And we don't know how God has already been working in their hearts and cultivating before we come along to plant seed, right? We don't know what God's already doing before that. All we do is step out in faith and, and be obedient and sharing the gospel, right? So that's where Cornelius is at. And this, this one day at about three in the afternoon, he has a vision. Now, what's significant about three in the afternoon? Well, that time of day was typically a Jewish prayer time. So if he's worshiping this Jewish God, he's probably praying right here. He's probably praying. And in the middle of his prayer, he has this vision happen, right? And it freaks him out, okay? So an angel shows up and he tells him, anytime you have an angel showing up, like people freak out, right? So an angel shows up and he tells him to send messengers to Joppa. He says, go to, go to Simon the Tanner's house. It's the smelliest town in, house in town. You'll find it right away, okay? 
So he says, go to Simon the Tanner's house and find, an, there's another Simon there who's called Peter, okay? I know that's confusing, but go, go, go to this Simon's house and get this other Simon, okay? Now, he doesn't tell him why to go get Peter. It, it's just like, uh, with, with no context, just like a command, hey, go, go get him and you'll find out why. So Cornelius is like, okay. So he, he sends messengers to, to go get Peter. So he, here's what happens while they're on their way, okay? Verse nine, it says, the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop at about the sixth hour to pray. So it's about noon. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners on the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up into heaven. Okay, so it's the next day, the day after Cornelius has his vision and sends people, the next day, uh, Peter is up on the rooftop of this like stinky beach house, okay? So he's up there, they're fixing dinner and it's, probably, it's like probably an opportunity for him to go out and get some fresh air, okay? So he's like sitting there looking over the beach, like chilling out and he, he actually says that he starts praying, Okay. So Cornelius has a vision while he's probably praying. Now Peter is praying and he has a vision, okay? And in, in Peter's vision, there's this thing that's like a sheet coming down, right? A lot of times in scripture, you'll see, you'll see this phrasing where it's like, there's something like this, right? Which means like in human terms, we don't, the authors don't even know how to describe what they're seeing. There's like, it was something sort of like a sheet, right? And in it, there's all these animals that Jews aren't supposed to eat, Right? And there's a voice that says what to most men would be music to our ears. It says, get up, kill, and eat. Most of us would be like, free bacon, say no more. Like, go for it, right? Not Peter. Peter says, you know what, God? I have a better idea. I'm not going to do that, right? Peter like, has this bad habit of, of telling God that he, doesn't have, that he has a better idea than God does, right? Which brings us to our first point. God's plan is better than yours. God's plan is better than my plan. Right now in a minute, I don't make that point because Peter has a different plan for lunch than God does. Right. That's not the point. It's not about having him having a different plan for lunch. It's about him having a different plan for the gospel. Peter is, is, isn't fully understanding the scope of the gospel here yet. Right. His plan for the gospel is different than what God's plan is. And he's about to find out why. Right. God's about to correct that. And it's, it's pretty comical that we as mere humans all the time, we think that God is so uh, like distant and so disconnected from reality that we know better than he does, right? But we act that way all the time, right? We always live our lives, even if we, if we, like most of us agree with this statement right here, right? But we don't usually live that way, right? We usually live like we have a better plan than God does, right? And we've been doing it ever since Adam and Eve. And Peter has a really bad habit of doing that, right? Peter has a history of telling God, I think I have a better idea than you, right? Peter spent half of his life with his foot stuck in his mouth, right? He's always like the first one to speak and it's usually something dumb, right? Now, there were a few times where Peter got it right, right? There's, there's one time where Jesus is, is asking his disciples, like, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up first, as usual, and he says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, yep, you're right. But then immediately after that, Jesus starts going into talking about how he, he is going to suffer and be rejected and die. 
And what does Peter do? Peter thinks it's a good idea to rebuke Jesus. He grabs the son of God by the arm and pulls him aside and says, no, 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 I have a better idea. Let's not talk about that, right? And Jesus has to rebuke him in return. He's like, no, 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 like you're thinking with with a human mind, right? My plan is bigger than yours. My plan is better than yours, right? And six days after that, Peter goes on to see one of the most incredible things in human history, right? He goes on, on this mountain with just him, James and John again, and they see Jesus in his glory, right? And, and Moses and Elijah are there. It's this really cool picture of Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament. It's this, this awesome scene that's happening. And if you read the story in, in Mark, Mark tells us that uh, Peter, whenever he's seeing this, he doesn't know what to say. He's speechless. And we all know Peter, whenever he's speechless, he speaks anyway. He, it says he doesn't know what to say. And then Peter said, and you're just like face palming like this is not going to go well, right? And basically what he says to Jesus is, hey, I have an idea. Let's go camping. It's basically what he says to Jesus. He says, hey, let's set up a tent for you and we'll set up a tent for Moses and we'll set up a tent for Elijah, right? This awesome thing is happening and that's his go-to. It's like, hey, Jesus, I don't know what your, what your plan is, but I bet I have a better idea. Let's go camping, right? And what, what happens after that is then God speaks. And what does God say? He says, this is my son, listen to him. So in other words, Peter, sit down, be quiet, listen to him, right? Listen to my son. You don't have a better plan than he does right? And then we all know what happens the last week of Jesus' life, right? Peter, Peter claims to Jesus that, that he's going to go wherever Jesus goes, and he'll even go die for Jesus. And then when push comes to shove and Jesus is getting arrested, where does Peter go? He runs away with everybody else. And then he denies that he even knows Jesus because he's like, if I, say, if I associate myself with him, I'm going to get arrested and I might, be, I might be killed, right? So Peter has all these failures in his past, right? Now we're in Acts, And Peter still is having trouble with telling God, you know what? I have a better idea, right? Now, specifically what Peter's struggling with here is he thinks that following Christ is still about being a good Jew. He thinks it's still about like doing the right religious things, right? He's following Jewish tradition. Okay, now we we already see that God's working on him in this area, right? The fact that he's staying with a tanner we already talked about it. It's like somebody that was out, an outcast among Jews. The fact that he's there means that God's already softening his heart in this area, right? But the other thing that, that Peter thinks is he thinks that Jesus is still just for the Jews. He's only been sharing the gospel with Jews up to this point, right? So God's going to send him to a Gentile, okay? Now, why would God choose Peter to go to Caesarea to share the gospel with Cornelius? Why would he do that? And you might be thinking, well... He was nearby, wasn't he? I mean, you just said that, that Joppa was right down the coast from Caesarea. I mean, it makes sense. He's in the neighborhood. Well, actually, if convenience was God's plan, God had a much more convenient option. Okay, back up real quick to chapter 8 and look at the very end. Okay, so th- this is the passage we looked at a couple weeks ago with Philip and the, Ethiop- the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, here's what happens at the end. Verse 40 says, But Philip found himself at Azadus, and he passed through and he preached the gospel to all towns until he came to Caesarea, where Cornelius is. Okay? So, so he, he just got, that's right after Philip just finished sharing the gospel with another Gentile. And he ends up in Caesarea, right? So when we get to Acts 10, it's very possible that Philip's still there. Right? We don't know that, but it's possible that he's still there. At the very least, he's just recently passed through and spent some time there. 
So wouldn't it make more, if convenience was the reason, wouldn't it make more sense for God to tell Philip, hey, while you're here, like go down the street, since you already have experience sharing the gospel with non-Jews, go down the street, there's this dude named Cornelius, go share the gospel with him. And Philip's like, okay, like that could have worked, but why doesn't he do that? Why doesn't God send Philip? It's because this story isn't just about God saving Cornelius. It's also about God working on Peter. It's not just about Cornelius' salvation. It's also about Peter's sanctification. And it's a reminder that salvation is not the ending point. It's the starting line, right? Salvation is, is, is where it starts. And then God continually works on us for the rest of our lives. So God's still working on Peter, right? And he's having to show Peter, hey, I have a better plan than you. We always come up with plans that make the most sense to us. But how much greater is God's perspective than ours? Right? Our, our graduates have, have plans for the future, right? We, we just talked about what they're planning to do in the future. And right now, that's what makes most sense, right? But to our graduates, if you surrender those plans to God's greater plan, if you use those plans to further God's plan of advancing the gospel, he'll blow your minds, right? Like the, these plans, God, if you surrender them to the Lord, like he'll use these things or he'll call you to something else that he'll use that will absolutely blow your mind. God's plan is better than yours. That's what Peter's still learning, okay? Here's the second thing he's still learning. God's plan is bigger than you. God's plan is bigger than you. So after this vision, Peter's still confused. Like he's not sure what's, it's not like Peter sees this vision and he's like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to go share the gospel with this Gentile. He's like, what in the world just happened? Like, and it happens three times and he still doesn't get it. And so look at verse 17. It says, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision was that he had seen might mean, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. So he's sitting there on the roof, still scratching his head, like, I don't know what's going on here. And then these men show up, right? So these messengers from, from Cornelius come get him, and Peter invites them in as, as guests. So they, they actually spend the night there with Peter. And then he, he leaves with them the, the next morning, okay? So they, they get to Caesarea, and Cornelius is already, like, gathering everybody he knows. He, he's gathering all of his, his friends and family. He's like, I don't know who this Peter dude is. But like an angel told me to go get him, so he's probably important, so y'all need to, need to come here, right? And so he's doing that, and whenever Peter actually shows up, Cornelius actually like gets down and starts worshiping him, right? Because in Cornelius' mind, he's still a little confused, right? He, he had an angel tell him to go get this dude named Peter, so he's like, this must be a really cool dude. I'm, like, I'm going to worship him. So he starts worshiping Peter, and Peter's like, Ooh, no, 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 like, I'm, I'm just a guy, Right? I'm, believe me, I am a messed up guy. We don't have time to go into everything, but believe me, I'm a messed up dude. Right? And so he, he raises Cornelius up. And then Peter says this to everyone sitting there. Okay? In verse 28, we find out that Peter, Peter's figuring out what this whole vision thing was all about. Here's what he says in verse 28. And Peter said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit with anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. He's realizing that the vision wasn't about food. It wasn't about lunch. It was about people. He's finally realizing this. And he's realizing that God's doing something that's bigger than him. He's finally realizing that. Okay. Now, when, when Peter in this verse says that it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with, with a Gentile, he's referring to Jewish tradition, not Old Testament law. Okay. Here's, here's where the Jews had taken God's words and misunderstood them. They confused them. 
God had, in the Old Testament, it's clear that God had separated out Israel from other nations. He had separated them out and said, you're my people, right? He separates them out. And he, part of him doing that was him giving them very specific laws, including diet laws, where it's like, you can eat this, you can't eat that, right? Like some of these laws that we look at, and we're like, why in the world is that there? Those were there as a way of separating Israel from, from other nations so that other nations would look at Israel and say, hmm, there's something different about them. And there's something different about their God. It's to make Israel stand out and be separated from, from the rest of the world, right? If we're, if we're Christians and we look exactly like the world, there's a problem, right? Like, how are we going to be able to share the gospel if, if we look exactly like the world, right? That's what God did with Israel. He's, making Israel. he's separating Israel out so that other nations look at Israel and notice there's something different about these people. And there's something different about their God, right? But here was Israel's mistake. They misunderstood why God had separated them. They thought that God was separating them out so they could be this exclusive clique where like, like God only likes Jews. He doesn't like Gentiles, right? God only likes us. He doesn't like anybody else. That's what most Jews thought at the time. But that's not why God had separated them. God didn't separate Jews in order to keep the Gentiles out. He separated them in order to invite the Gentiles in. When you read the Old Testament, it's clearly focused on Israel, right? The Old Testament is clearly focusing on the story of Israel, but all throughout, you constantly see God's desire to use the Jewish nation to reach all nations, right? That's his desire. You see it all the time. God had separated the Jews so that other nations would see them, notice that they were different, and be invited in. You see examples of this all over the Old Testament. You see it with Rahab and Jericho. You see it with Ruth. You see it with Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. You see God reaching out to Gentiles using the Jewish nation. So when Peter sees unclean food, he thinks, oh, that means I'm not, I'm not supposed to associate with Gentiles. And what God's saying is, no, 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 no. This means I'm sending you to the Gentiles. So, so Peter's here and Cornelius tells him about his vision. He's like, yeah, an angel showed up and told me to come get you. So what do you have to say, right? So they're waiting to hear what Peter's gonna say. And you know what Peter says? He just shares the gospel. He, he just lays out the gospel. He, he walks through Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. And then he tells them that everyone who believes in Jesus receives the forgiveness of sins through his name, okay? Now, so you have these Gentiles getting saved and here's what happens next, okay? Now, as I read this, I want you to think about what we've already covered in Acts and see if this sounds familiar, okay? Look at verse 44. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised, so Jewish people, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were, they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, how can anyone, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain there for, for some days. Okay, does that sound familiar to anybody? It's a Gentile Pentecost. The same thing that happened with the Jews in Jerusalem at Pentecost, it's now happening with these Gentile believers, right? Think about it. The Holy Spirit comes on them just like he did at Pentecost. They start praising God in other languages, just like the Jews had started sharing the gospel in other languages at Pentecost. And they all get baptized just like at Pentecost. It even says that the Jews that are there with Peter, they're standing there and it's blowing their minds because they're like, whoa, whoa, wait, this, just, this happened to us a while back in Jerusalem. Like, the same gospel that Jesus brought to us, he's bringing to them too. We weren't expecting that. Like God is showing them, hey, this is bigger than you. This is bigger than just you. 
Peter had had such a small view of the gospel before this. He thought that God's plan was just about him and other Jews. And God says, you have no idea. You have no idea. And by the way, Peter's going to keep struggling with this. Like we read later on in the New Testament that there's a time where he's hanging out with some Gentile believers and, and hanging out and eating with them. And then some Jewish believers walk in and Peter goes, like, no, I, w- I wasn't hanging out with them. Right? He's embarrassed to be hanging out with Gentile believers. And Paul actually has to call him out. Like Paul rebukes Peter. P- Peter gets rebuked all the time, right? Like Paul has to call out Peter and be like, dude, what happened in Caesarea? You were the dude that was there. Like you should know this better than anybody, right? So Peter continues to struggle with this. Peter's continually a work in progress. But God's plan was bigger, bigger than Peter. That's what Peter's realizing, right? Sometimes people say things like, go do great things for God, right? Well, to our graduates and to everybody else, that's not our job. Our job is to be obedient, right? God doesn't say, all right, go do some great things for me. That's not what God says. God says, be obedient and watch me do great things through you. That's what God says. There's a a phrase that I've been hearing recently. It says, it's not your job to feed the 5,000. It's your job to provide the loaves and fish. That's our job. Our job is to bring the gifts and talents that God has given us and to use them in a way that makes him known, in a way that makes him look great. So Peter's learning that God's plan is better than yours and that God's plan is bigger than you. And here's the last thing. God's plan doesn't depend on you. God's plan doesn't depend on us, right? Now, initially, that sounds kind of demoralizing, right? Because there's a part of us that wants things to depend on us because then we can take credit for it, right? But this is, this is actually freeing. It's not demoralizing, Okay, because think about it. What if God had said, all right, go make disciples of all nations. Like, go take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Oh, and by the way, whether it succeeds or fails, it's all on you. No pressure. Good luck. Right? Like, that's crushing. That weight is crushing. God doesn't need us. Right? God starts the work and completes the work. He doesn't need us. I hear, I've heard pastors before say, God needs you. No, he doesn't. That's, that's actually bad news. If God needs you, like that is a heavy weight if God needs my help, right? God doesn't need us, which means that he's inviting us in because he wants us, right? The fact that God doesn't need us and still invites us in, that's a big deal, right? That actually means something, right? If God needs me and he brings me along, that doesn't mean a whole lot. But the fact that he doesn't need me and he still chooses to use me as messed up as I am, that actually means something. Right to, to the dads in the room, do you ever like go get your kids or your grandkids like to help you on, on something, right? Whenever you do that, is it always because you need the help? No. Most of the time you can get it done quicker if they're not helping you, right? Why do you do that? You don't do it because you need their help in accomplishing it. You do it because you want them along with you, right? Now, you remember how I said in the Old Testament, it's full of stories about God saving Gentiles, right? Well, one of those stories is actually really closely connected to this passage in, in Acts 10, okay? So we already said that, that Peter was in a, in a port city called Joppa, right? Now, some of you, that, that may have sounded familiar, and that's because the city of Joppa is also mentioned in the book of Jonah, okay? It's one of the only other places in the Bible where that city is mentioned, okay? Now, we just read about God sending Peter to a group of Gentiles, right? What happens in the book of Jonah? God sends Jonah to a group of Gentiles in Nineveh. 
Now, not only that, not only were they both sent to Gentiles, Peter and Jonah were both sent to people who were enemies of their people, right? Jonah was sent to Nineveh, which was the capital city of Assyria. The Assyrians were horrible enemies of Israel, right? Peter is being sent to Romans. Romans were, were enemies of Israel, right? The difference is Peter leaves from Joppa and obediently goes to the Gentiles. Jonah leaves from Joppa and goes the other way, right? Peter, even though that happened, even though Peter's obedient and Jonah's disobedient, which group of Gentiles did, did God save? Both. Even though he has one who's obedient, one who's disobedient, he's still got the job done, right? God's will is still moving forward. Peter rejoiced whenever he saw Gentiles saved. Jonah got mad, right? You remember how the book of Jonah ends? It's really anticlimactic. It ends with, with Jonah basically sitting there and, and pitching a fit, right? Now, why, why did Jonah run away in the first place? When I, was, when I was growing up and hearing the story of Jonah, I was always told that, it was, that Jonah ran away because he was scared, right? That the, that the people in Nineveh were really mean and that, that he was scared of that. Well, we do know historically that the Assyrians were like brutal people. So there may have been some fear there, right? But it doesn't say that explicitly in the book of Jonah. It doesn't say that that's the reason why he ran away. As a matter of fact, you don't have to turn there, but in Jonah 4, Jonah himself actually tells us the main reason why he ran the other way, okay? So this is after the Assyrians in Nineveh have repented and God spares them, okay? After that happens, this is what it says in Jonah 4, the first two verses. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. So he's about to say, this is why I left. It says, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Okay, he says, you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Okay, Jonah is actually quoting God there when he says that phrase. Okay, he's quoting God from Exodus. Okay, back in Exodus, Israel, Jonah's own ancestors, they had sinned with the, with the uh, golden calf, okay? And right after that, God chooses not to wipe them out. God could have wiped them out, which means Jonah would have never existed, right? God chooses to not wipe them out. And then God says this in Exodus 34, 6. He calls himself a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Jonah is quoting God here. Not only that, he's quoting God from a time when God saved his own people, when he didn't destroy Jonah's own ancestors, okay? Jonah wouldn't have even been alive if it hadn't been for God's mercy. But Jonah only wants that for the Jews. He doesn't want it for the Gentiles. Jonah says, the reason why I didn't want to go to Nineveh is because I knew you'd save the Gentiles. I knew, I, 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 I want you to save the Jewish people. I know you save the Jewish people. I just didn't want you to do it for them. Jonah was mad that God would save Gentiles. And yet God used him to do it anyway. He used Jonah to do exactly what Jonah didn't want to do. So what do Peter and Jonah show us? They show us that God is sovereign and will accomplish his plans. Our choice is whether that's going to be through us or in spite of us. Which would you rather have? I would rather it be through me and not in spite of me. All of us have plans for the future, right? Not just our graduates, all of us in here have, have plans for the future. But none of us know whether that's going to work out 
the way that we think and the way that we hope. We don't know, right? This is what we do know. We do know that God's plans always work out exactly as he intends, even when it doesn't make sense in our finite perspectives. God's plan is taking the gospel on the move to the ends of the earth. And his plan is better than ours. It's bigger than us. And thank God it doesn't depend on us. But he invites us to be part of it anyway. The point isn't to stop making plans. The point is to make God's plan our plan. The point is to surrender our plans to his plan. And the point is to be okay when he changes our plans. Because we can only see plans from a very, very, very small sample size. Right? The God of the universe sees everything and has for all eternity. Right? We see only from our perspective in a very small window of time. Right? So when God changes our plans, maybe we shouldn't look at God and say, you know what, I have a better idea, right? That's what it means for him to be God and not us, is that, that we understand that his plans are better than us, better than ours, bigger than us, and it doesn't depend on us. To our graduates and to all of us, hold tight to the gospel with a closed fist and hold on to our plans with an open hand. Hold tight to the gospel with a closed fist but hold on to our plans with an open hand. That's what, that's what Peter had to learn in this passage. Let's pray.